Good morning. Glad you guys come out for this last session and teaching of the heart of ministry. I really pray it's been a, a blessing and encouragement to you. I, uh, for me, it's it's been a re- reminder of a, just a lot of godly principles and, and um, truths when it comes to serving the Lord. And it's not just in serving Him, how we live for Him as well, how we walk with Him, uh, relate to others. And, you know, it, it's a tremendous blessing to, to have these truths in our hearts uh, not only as we serve in the church, but when we're serving our kids and serving family members, those in the community, wherever the Lord has us uh, and placed us, um, these are good things to just um, take to heart and pray through. And, and today is probably the most important, and that is loving others in ministry. So if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 15, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll start there. The world has all kinds of definitions about love, right? And the world pollutes that, that definition of love. And the Bible um, speaks of agape love. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's God's love. And that's what we're going to be reading about. John chapter 15, I've made reference to it, but Jesus with his disciples for the last time right before he would go to the cross. And he says something very important, and then Paul picks up on it when he talks about spiritual gifts and ministry uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, Father, we do thank you that we're here. And uh, I I thank you for this class and these truths that we have gone over um, to have them planted again in our hearts. Uh, Many of it we know. Uh, Many of these... uh, truths and principles uh, that uh, we have read and seen in your word. But Lord, um, I know I have to be reminded about faithfulness and endurance and humility, uh, about you preparing us and being led by the Spirit of God. And and I thank you that um, even as Paul would say, as we're going to see in the book of Philippians, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things so you be established in them. And Lord, I pray that, um, that this morning we need your help when it comes to loving others. We can't muster it up ourselves. Um, and Lord, um, we can serve, and, but Lord, if we don't have love, it means nothing. We know that. So I pray that uh, you would just work through us, your love. Knowing that you first loved us, we can love others. And Lord, that it wouldn't be a phony love. It wouldn't be a worldly love, but agape love. Giving to others. Not seeking anything in return. But Lord, willing to love others, even when they don't love us. So we just commit this time this morning as you speak to our hearts, as we look at these passages in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So first, uh, John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus with his disciples in that upper room, making his way uh, over to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested. And he writes... Uh, or he says in verse 12, it is written that this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so he's telling them that, um, that uh, this is how they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. Um, you are to love others as, as I have loved you. And, and Jesus emphasizes that in this upper room. And he emphasizes it to his disciples. Now, whenever you speak to somebody, it's the last words that you speak of. Uh, those last words are going to be very important, right? What's on your heart. And so Jesus says, listen, this is what you're to do. You're to love one another as I loved you. He would also say in this upper room that they will know you're to my disciples for your love for one another. And then you are to do what I've commanded you to do. He would demonstrate that love by the next day going to the cross after the sufferings that he would go through. And then Paul, I believe, picks up on that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a chapter that we're all familiar with. He, he's writing about the spiritual gifts being used in the body of Christ, the, the, using them in the unity of the body of Christ, the diversity uh, of gifts uh, that we have. And he would end the chapter, chapter 12, by saying, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing." And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. It is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, and bears all things, and believes all things, and hopes all things, and endure all things. One of the ways, tests that we can you know, practically do to see how we're doing and loving others is where he, in chapter 13 here, says love suffers long. We can put Jesus' name in there, and it fits perfectly, right? Uh, Jesus suffers long. He's kind, does not envy, uh, does not parade uh, itself, you know, it's not puffed up. You put Jesus' name in there and fits perfectly, but put your name in there where it says love, you know, when it describes these things. Um, Jeff suffers long. Eh, try to. Um, is kind. It depends what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> Does not envy. Uh, I've gone through that, being envious. You see what I mean? That's a good way to know how we're doing in loving others. And this is agape love. And the world, as I said, has all kinds of definitions of love, but God comes along and he defines love because he is love. He is love, and he proved it by sending his son to go to the cross, to die for you and for me. And that's reiterated all throughout the scriptures that God is love, and then we are to love others with agape love. The Bible speaks, there's four Greek words for love. There's uh, phileo, which is brotherly love. Uh, we know that Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, then there's uh, 
eros love, you know, erotic love. Uh, there is a love that is described in the Greek that speaks of a love that you would have for a spouse or perhaps your, your kids or something like that. But this is agape love here. This is God's love. And only the Christian can experience agape love, not the world. And it is a love that comes through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we know that he loved us, we can love others with that, that agape love in serving others and helping others. And 1 Corinthians, really, I go back to this. I think a lot of us, we can memorize this. But the longer that I minister, the more I keep going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because... You know, in ministry for me, after 30 years, I can think of all the things that the Lord has done. But if there isn't love, it doesn't mean anything. And I read that uh, email on Sunday to you from that individual that came. And I was going to share it today, but uh, I, I felt like I needed to share it with the congregation. But when he came here and he just sensed the love of Jesus Christ at Calvary Chapel here. And that really spoke to my heart. It, it really blessed my heart because he didn't say, wow, you know, I'm impressed with your building. Nobody's impressed with our building. Um, you have cutting edge, you know, radio ministry, uh, all, all this. He said, I sense the love of Jesus Christ here that I don't have in my own church. That I wish we did. And that is the ultimate complement of any church. It's not how big the building is. It isn't how cutting edge the social media is. It isn't how dynamic the, uh, the speaker is. And um, up front, you know, what we do as far as cutting edge ministry, that isn't the mark of what the Lord is looking for. Those things can be used, you know, the building and all that, to minister better to others. But it is love. Are people coming here, and are they being loved by the love of Jesus Christ? Because the world doesn't know what love is. You know, the world, the definition of it is very warped. And they need to know what love is and to come into this place and sense the presence and the love of Jesus Christ that comes from us. And that's what being a light is all about. And I've mentioned this before. That as we go through Philippians, we're going to see that Paul says, you be a light in this world. You be a light to others. And a light is seen. And it is something that is to be seen and is to be sensed. That as others come in, that, that we take the time to just love them and care for them. And that is something that the Lord's still working in my heart. Because I don't have that perfect love. And, and I do know this, that my prayers, the prayer of Paul who said in chapter 1 of Philippians, that my prayer for you is that your love abounds more and more. Not that it's not there, but it abounds more and more in all you know, knowledge and discernment. It's not a flaky love. It's not a phony love. But all discernment and knowledge. So how is it that we do you know, have this love? I remember when I first got into ministry, I called my brother-in-law, Bob Davis. He's been in ministry for 40 years plus over 40 years and uh, he pastors the Calvary Chapel in Coeur d'Alene a large Calvary Chapel up there and I said Bob uh, they ordained me as an assistant pastor and you know he's I think he was shocked uh, when he heard that and I said you got any advice for me and he said yeah you love the people when they don't love you 
That was his first advice. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of odd. You know, I was thinking something very practical or, you know, you need to get this program, you know, and you need to do this and do that. He said, you'd love the people when they don't love you. And I didn't quite understand that. I now I understand it. <laughs> Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he says that the more I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. And he loved that church. And he served them and he ministered to them. He expressed the love of Jesus Christ to the saints in his letters. And, and I believe, you know, that he truly did. And we're going to talk about him in just a little bit. The church at Ephesus, that very first letter that Jesus writes in Revelation chapter 2, I don't know if you guys remember it, but the church at Ephesus, it's interesting to look at the church at Ephesus because established on Paul's third missionary journey, the whole city was given over to revival. And I was looking at that because we're hearing about revival today, aren't we? And what's going on in Kentucky and other places. And we're just kind of watching it and seeing what's going on with the Jesus Revolution movie out that spoke of that revival that began in the 60s, amazing move of God. But the whole city was given over to to Christianity, to Christ, to the gospel. And they were bringing their books and burning them and not buying the idols anymore and Paul was run out of that church and it became a major sending church as he taught at the school of Tyrannus and many of the disciples went out and planted churches throughout proconsular Asia those are the churches that you read about in Revelations chapters 2 and 3 church of Philadelphia Smyrna you know Sardis um, Laodicea uh, other churches that's not all the churches there in in those two chapters but Many churches were started throughout consular Asia. There was a lot that was going on. And here it is, Jesus at the end of the first century writing them a letter. And one of the things that's very powerful about those letters to the seven churches is we can make application for ourselves. What kind of Christian are we? Are we a Ephesus Christian? Are we a Laodicea Christian, a Smyrna Christian? Uh, you know, you, as you go through it, uh, a Philadelphia Christian but the church of Ephesus is working, church. They, he says, I know your works. I, I know that your patience. I know your labor. He's saying a lot of good things about this church. I picture a church that's got missions going on and, and all kinds of uh, studies that are going on, Bible studies and, and different things that are taking place, ministry and all this. I mean, it was a working church. It was a major church in Proconsular Asia. But he said, I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you've left it. Now you've got to go back. And if you don't, then I'm going to remove my lampstand. And Jesus will not be in a church where there is no love. He just won't. And it really spoke to me. I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks when I, you know, was young and just, you know, kind of struggling and what young people do and is this real and you know, the world and all of this. And I remember hearing that Bible study at Calvary Chapel, and it just just hit me. And I'm one that I grew up is that work is good. And I may not be the funniest pastor or, you know, the smartest or the most dynamic or any of those things, but one thing that I did a lot of years of ministry, even after that, the Lord just showing me this, is I'll outwork you. I will outwork you. And I will work hard. 
And that was my way to get God's approval and get blessing and all of this. And really, you know, over the years of learning these things, you know, you can read it, but to have them be worked out in your life, maybe I'm a little slow. But, you know, to love others, and that's where it at. It isn't all, work is good. And those who desire to be an elder desire good work. It is work. But it is good work. And you never see that laziness as something to be... Um, you know, in any positive way in the scriptures. But to love others is the key for everything that we do when it comes to ministering to our families, when it comes to ministering to those who are linked to us in our lives, when it comes to ministering in the body of Christ. And not everybody is going to return that love that you show them with love. That it's going to be, sometimes they're going to come against you and they're going to, hurt you, and they're going to make it very difficult for you, make fun of you, whatever it might be. But you love others when they don't love you, and that's something that I think is a lifelong lesson. And I really personally believe that the Lord will bring people into our lives to teach us to love. He really will. And it's like, why, Lord? Uh, to me, I'd rather hang around the person who pats me on the back. We can joke around. You know, we got similar interests. It's, you know, always complimenting. But the person that can be difficult to love, the Lord is showing us to love that person and to pray for them and to serve them. It, he's not saying get taken advantage of. Or just be a doormat to be walked on or be abused. He's not talking about that. But to love others with the love of Jesus Christ, even when they don't return that love back to you. And for me as the pastor, to, the key here is to love. And by the way, you know, when it comes to guys, when it comes to your family, as you lead your families, when it comes to me, as I am called to be the shepherd of this church, you know, the people are, are not going to be more spiritual, at least the, as a whole, than the pastor is. In other words, if I'm not showing love, then the congregation probably isn't. Is it, if it's just all hype and, you know, all of this and, and being boastful and, and this is how smart we are and this is how spiritual we are and, you know, we're the real Christians and we're the serious, then that's going to radiate throughout the congregation. And that's one of the things that I know some of you are going to go see the Jesus Revolution um, here this afternoon. How many of you have seen it so far? Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. And when I saw it, it was just a little glimpse of the Calvary Chapel movement and the Jesus Revolution and the Jesus movement that took place. Because there's so much more to the story. This is through the eyes of, of Greg Laurie uh, in that movie. But one of the things that they they did show as Pastor Chuck the love that he had for those hippies and how they, it was a culture, it was uh, a time where they were, were isolated, that the world looked down on them. They were leaving their homes, they're going out on the beaches, they're strung out on drugs. Um, they, they just were lost. And at first, Pastor Chuck, you know, he, he had an attitude towards them. You know, they're dirty. Uh, and it was actually Kay his wife that had a heart for the hippies. 
And they would go down to Newport Beach and they would pray for them. Because I've heard this from Pastor Chuck. And they would pray for them. And then, you know, one of them showed up at his house. And, and he went from there. And, and, but one of the things I heard testimony after testimony from that first generation of pastors that came. And if you ever get want to read a good book, read the book Harvest. And um, I don't know if we have it in the bookstore. We've had it before. But it speaks of that first generation of Raul Reese and Skip Heisig and Mike McIntosh and John Corson and uh, Steve Mays and these guys. And how when they came to Calvary Chapel, they were messed up. I mean, Steve Mays, it was like he hadn't taken a bath in two years. And he, he came, you know, into the church. Raul Reese was about ready to shoot his family with a shotgun. And maybe some of you have seen the, the movie from uh, Fury to Freedom. Um, and he just, he struggled with anger. And um, he, he was married and had a, they had a child. And he was just full of rage. And he was in Vietnam, and it really affected him. And so he's waiting for his wife um, to come home. She'd been going to Calvary Chapel, and he's sitting there with a shotgun. This is what the movie shows. And then he turned on TV, and there's Pastor Chuck. Gave the gospel, and he got saved <laughs> right there in front of the TV. That's what was going on back in those days. And then, you know... Um, Mike McIntosh, you know, amazing story. Skip Heisig. It's amazing work of God. But I've heard their testimonies. And their testimony is one thing Chuck did is he always loved us. He, he put up with us. <laughs> but he loved us. He always loved us. And you could just see the love that was coming from Pastor Chuck. And, and, and I remember sitting there just seeing it and just... Um, it was just an amazing thing. And people will notice it in our lives as we're loving others. And you've heard me say this. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I'll really impress somebody by all my knowledge, you know. And listen, knowledge is important. But the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. But really, I've come to understand this. People really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so these, this is something that is so critical and that I've been praying through. And this is hard for me to teach on because I know I fail in so many ways on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And, and Lord, help me to stay in that realm of loving others. So how is it, well, we've got a few minutes. How is it that we love others? Well, of course, we abide in his love and we remember his love. And we do love others because he first loved us. Paul, when he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us. Everything that we do is out of love for others and to, because we want to see people come to Christ. It's the love of Christ that constrains us because he first loved us. And Paul had a deep love for the Lord because he couldn't believe that the Lord would save somebody like him who was a waster of the church. He said, I was an insolent man, and yet out of God's love, he called me to, to be a minister of the gospel. And he says, it's the love of Christ that constrains us and motivates us. And how we can have longevity in ministry is 
being motivated by the love of Christ in our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts. If it's motivation because I want to be seen by people, or I have just, you know, just want an innate need to help people, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to want to help people, but it's the love of Christ that motivates us and keeps us going. Because we do know that there's a battle that comes with serving others and walking with the Lord, isn't there? I mean, it's a battle that comes to us as the enemy will attack that and try to discourage us. And if it's just to be seen of people, it won't be long before somebody goes, you know, I don't like what I see in you. Or I like to help people when somebody comes along and begins to criticize you and come down on you and you're going, why am I doing this? So a key for any of us is the motivation is to to love because of the love of Christ. And as I said, he has to work that love in us. And how is it that he works in us? We abide in his love and remember his love. And Lord, help me to love others. And we pray for others. And when we pray for others, our hearts begin to be stirred. But again, it isn't a phony love. It's a supernatural love that only he can put into our hearts and, and work in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. I think of the examples of love in this scripture. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example, uh, proving his love by laying down his life uh, for us, uh, even as he says that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends, he would say to them. And he laid down his life for us. But I think about Moses, how God worked that love in Moses' life. Here's Moses at the burning bush, 40 years out in the wilderness, the most humble man on the face of the earth. God calls him to ministry there at the burning bush, says, Moses, I want you to go. And Moses says, I can't go. I want you to go. Why stutter? I'll send Aaron with you to be your mouthpiece. Well, what's Pharaoh going to say? You're going to go in power, you know, throw down your staff and, and um, you know, and uh, put your hand in, in your, your robe and it, it was leprosy and then he pulled it back out. But we do know that, that the Lord said, Moses, you're going to go. Moses was reluctant. He didn't want to go. And then as he goes, the very first thing the people do, and it, he doesn't have a small congregation. You're talking two million people. <laughs> Moses, why did you come? You made things worse, and things got worse. Pharaoh said, okay, you're going to make more bricks. Okay, you're going to make bricks without any straw. And things weren't looking good for Moses. And finally, the Lord worked in bringing the plagues down upon Egypt. And they leave. And for all those years, uh, they're, they're murmuring and they're complaining against Moses. And I think about towards the end of the 40 years, remember that the people are thirsty. They're murmuring, complaining. Once again, we're thirsty, Moses. The Lord said, okay, Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses took a staff and beat the rock twice. And he misrepresented the Lord. That's a study for another time. But he was frustrated. He says, must we fetch water for you rebels? And I think I can understand Moses in that. Because if it was me, I probably would have gone into the crowd with the staff swinging it, you know. I just being honest, I've had it with you guys. (laughs) You've misrepresented me, Moses. I wasn't angry. People were just thirsty. Moses, it wasn't long when they were in the wilderness. 
that goes up on the mountain to receive the law of God, and the people are going to Aaron, where's, where's Moses, the man of God? Where is he? Give me your jewelry. Give me your gold. We'll make a golden calf, and we'll say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And they danced around it and fornicated and all of this. Moses is up on the mountain. You know how it is you read those chapters 22 and go into chapter 33. And the Lord says, Moses, you need to get down for your people have sinned a great sin. And I find that interesting. The Lord said, your people. Moses said, they're not my people. They're your people. <laughs> Moses, stand back because I'm going to consume them. Now, the murmuring, the complaining, all of that, that he, and they're just getting started <laughs> in the wilderness. I think if it was me, and honestly, you can think, what if I was in Moses' sandals? I probably would have had a tendency to step back and say, go ahead. I'm done. I don't want to spend the next 40 years with these people. You know, there can be that tendency. And Moses interceded. He said, no. Lord, you made a promise, you know, to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob that your, you know, descendants will be great. I, I would have been thinking, you know, Father Moses sounds pretty good. What are the people going to think? You just brought your people out in the wilderness just to consume them? And then the next day he gets up. He goes down. He deals with Aaron. He deals with the people. He gets up early the next day. goes back up on the mountain. And as he goes on the mountain, he doesn't make any excuses for the people. He said, Lord, they have sinned a great sin. But nevertheless, forgive me. And if you don't blot my name out of the book of life. I mean, he was willing to be blotted out of the book of life for the forgiveness of the people. That's love. And I just think, this is me. And, you know, I got a, a little bit of an image of the Lord up in heaven just with a smile on his face when Moses said that. And now truly you are a shepherd because he showed love to the people. Lord, forgive them if it not blot me out of the book of life. And then the Lord says, you know, I'll forgive those, you know, uh, who have ever sinned is going to be accountable to their sin, but only lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Moses showed real love during that time. And yeah, he failed in that love. He struck the rock years later and misrepresented the Lord. But the Lord even showed grace at that time. You're not going to go into the promised land, Moses. But you know, the Lord did sneak them in. The Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, there you go. So the Lord was gracious. Let him see the promised land. The other one I think about the example in the scripture is, is Paul. I mean, I think about what Paul went through. He was beaten. He was you know, persecuted. He was all that that he went through. And then in the book of Romans, he says that I wish that me, myself, you know, that I would be a curse for the salvation of my brethren. And it's like, that's love. I mean, they, they really, we're not talking about said mean words. But he speaks about the persecution he went through by his countrymen, yet he had a love for them. And I think about that, and I think I have such a, 
in the honesty of my heart, Lord, I have such a long ways for that. But a shepherd's heart. And he continued to pray for them. And Paul was one day expressed his love for the churches and and you know it showed in how he prayed for them, ministered to them. He would be honest. He would talk about Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm, and you know, deliver him over to Satan to deal with them. He talks about broken relationships that happen, and you know, one of the things that um, I was sharing with some pastors that we don't always talk about is when we go through the hurts or somebody you know leaves or you know there's. Um, relationships that can be strained and severed that if all of us we go through that can be painful but you know Paul had the Demas's Demas has forsaken us has a love for the world we can all have an Ahithophel Ahithophel David's trusted advisor we hear a lot in the Old Testament studies about how Jonathan and David were very close and they were I think the one that David was really close to was Ahithophel, more than Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan and David were close, but Ahithophel and David, it says that when Ahithophel in 1 Samuel spoke, it was like the oracles of God in 2 Samuel. And he was David's trusted advisor, and when Absalom went to overthrow the kingdom and, and usurped the, the throne and David had to flee for his life, Ahithophel stayed with Absalom. And David in the psalm writes about how we counseled together, you know, him and Ahithophel. We walked together in, in the, to, you know, in the throng of the, the uh, night and to the house of the Lord and his counsel was very sweet. I imagine David and Ahithophel there at night with the fire going, and David is just listening to Ahithophel because his counsel was like the oracles of God, and all of a sudden he gets word Ahithophel has, has left us. He's with Absalom. He is with Absalom. And that had to break David's heart, and he does write about that in the Psalms. If it was anyone else but this was my companion. We took sweet counsel together, David writes. I can't hardly stand it. And not only did Ahithophel side with Absalom, but Ahithophel was leading the charge to have David killed. He said to Absalom, Absalom, let me take some of the choice fighters here of Israel, and we will go after David tonight. And I will kill him tonight. And it's interesting, as you do a study why was Ahithophel so bitter against David at that time? Because he had a granddaughter named Bathsheba, when you do the study on it. And he was very bitter and angry. And he says, I'll go after David. So we all have, you know, the Judases, the Ahithophels, we have the Demases, we have the Alexander, the coppersmiths that come into our lives. And what do we do with all that? What do we do with it? We don't want to be bitter. So, you know, to abide in Christ is the key is what we're to do, to pray, Lord, help me to love. And again, love is something that we do in discernment and knowledge. But what will keep us from loving others? 
I think about John D, the, the apostle of love. He's the other one that I have in my notes. And, you know, John and, and his brother, John and James, what were they called in the Gospels? The sons of thunder. Why were they called the sons of thunder? Let's call down fire and consume these people. That's what they said. They were going through Samaria, and there was a, a city of Samaria that they didn't receive Jesus. And they said, okay, let's call down fire from heaven. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. Later on becomes known as the apostle of love. And he says, you're to love others. Again, picking up on what Jesus says, love your brother. And this is how they'll know that you truly are one that has the light of Jesus Christ in you. But here are the things that will keep us from loving others. And I think it's important for us to touch on this. Is number one, I wrote down living for self. If we're just living for self, we're truly not going to love others in the way that God wants us to. Because agape love is sacrificial love. If we're just living for self, we're just going to end up loving self. But... You know, we don't just live for ourselves as Christians. We're to live for others. And if we live for ourselves, not only we won't have that love for others, we won't have the joy that the Lord desires for us to have, and we won't have the peace. And we'll just be out there doing our own thing. And we'll find ourselves actually becoming empty and unfulfilled and wondering. So number one, I wrote down living for self. And then second of all, this is another hard one, being unforgiving, bitter, angry, like Ahithophel was. Ahithophel was hurt. We see in the scriptures the imperative to forgive. I think one of the hardest things, I think the hardest thing, or one of the hardest things, is to forgive somebody who's really hurt you. Or betrayed you. That's cut you deep. That is very, very difficult. And there's the imperative of scripture that we are to forgive. And it doesn't diminish the hurt. It doesn't condone what they did. It isn't just, oh well, you know, no big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. But the reason that we have the imperative to forgive is because if we don't, then that person or that situation has power over us. And the bitterness will just come into our hearts and it will just grow and the anger and it will begin to destroy us spiritually. And for those who have been hurt, I'm sorry for your hurt. And I don't want to ever diminish the hurt that you went through and how it just messes with us and and it's just the agony that you can go through. And forgiveness is something that for me is something, is somebody who's really, really hurt me or hurt my family, that I have to do over and over again, going to the Lord, Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. In the honesty of your heart, because he knows it anyway. <laughs> he knows my heart. Lord, help me to forgive. To do it over and over again, bit by bit, not to be vengeful. You know, that dirty rat, I'm on, get back at him. And to do it consistently to where the Lord again does that supernatural work in us. But we can't continue in anger and unforgiveness and bitterness because it's like a cancer. It will grow and it will grow and it will grow. 
I know that these are hard things to talk about, but they're real. Real life stuff that we deal with, all of us, to one degree or another. The third thing I wrote down is not having a heart for the lost. If we don't have a heart for the lost, then we're not going to love others. And one of the things that really, I'll just be honest, that kind of bothers me more and more is when I hear Christians that like, you know, God judged them all, you know, fire and brimstone. And we should have a heart for the loss. God will deal with it. He doesn't need our help, okay, in judging others. But to have a heart for the loss and, and to know that they're going to be lost eternally if they don't know Jesus Christ. And again, we do it with wisdom and we do it with discernment. But Lord, help them. Lord, help them to open up their eyes. And probably a lot of you, you know somebody that came to Christ that they were an awful person, you can say. Like I was before I came to Christ. But somebody took the time to share the love of Jesus Christ with me and, and the word of God opened. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And forgiveness is for them as well. But to have a heart for the lost. And I pray for this church that we have a heart for the lost. I really do. We're not going to love others if we don't have that heart. The other thing I wrote down is if you're causing others to sin, to be carnal. This is, this is so important. You know, particularly, I, we live in a culture where everything goes. And even in the church, well, go ahead and live with your boyfriend, girlfriend. You know, go ahead and be sexually active. Everybody else is doing it. And if any of us are leading anyone into sin, we are not loving them. We're hurting them. And especially if they say, oh, I just, I just love you and, you know, just live together. It's not love. It's not agape love. Maybe the world's love, but it's not love. If we're leading others into sin and the compromise and into carnality and sinning against the Lord is not showing love to others. And then the last thing that I wrote is if we don't speak the truth in love. We don't have the, the mindset or the heart of, well, just... Whatever you want to believe, we're all, you know, we're all going to end up in bliss together. And, you know, whatever truth is to you is truth to me. And, or truth to me is, tr you know, whatever you want to believe, it doesn't matter. And, and there is truth. And it's from the Word of God. And Paul says, speak the truth in love is what we're to do. And if we are speaking to others, sometimes we have to say some hard things to tell them you're in sin, you need to repent, you need to turn to the Lord. And if we're not willing to do that, when it really needs to be done, then we're not loving others. I mean, how many of us are, you know, parents that we got to be honest with our kids? What you did was wrong. You stole a cookie from the cookie jar. We don't just say, oh, whatever, you know. Doesn't matter. But we speak the truth in love and loving enough to, to speak that truth to others. And that's what we're going to do here. And we'll point out sin, but we're not just going to be condemning. I don't want to be a church where we're just, you know, boasting and thinking we're better than others. Or indifferent to the world. Or we just kind of 
inwardly, you know, it's us and it, the rest of the world doesn't matter. But the key is the very foundation in serving others is this love. And then on, on that, because if we're loving others, then we'll be able to move forward in humility, right? And move forward in faithfulness and be able to move forward in, in being led by the Spirit of God. But if that love is missing, the whole thing's going to collapse. So pray for me. You know, I'll pray for you. Pray for the church that we be loving others. And it's amazing what the Lord can do as a church that loves one another. And that really, always remember, that is the mark of the Lord working in the church. It isn't how big or how grand or how popular. That's what the world defines as being successful is are we really loving others? And it's not going to be perfect, is it? <laughs> but we can abound more and more in his love for others. I'm looking forward to when people come. I love to hear when they come and they're hesitant, they're kind of scared to come just because they think they're going to be looked down upon. One of the things um, that... I've read the, the parable of the prodigal. We've all read that. You know, the son comes back and the greeting of the father that loved him and all that. But one of the things that sometimes we miss or overlook a little bit is the response of the older brother that was angry. I, I don't want to be that. What are you doing home? What are you doing coming into this place? You've been in the pig pen. But the father rejoices. And I think, how did the father know to go to the end of the road? Because I think he did it every day. Looking for his son to come back. For the prodigals, keep praying for your children. You know, a lot of people, they ask me, they say, you know, my, my son, my daughter's, um, you know, in this lifestyle or, you know, in this sin or, you know, and they hurt. And I tell them, keep loving them. God doesn't tell us to stop loving them. But give them truth. Keep praying for them. Keep going to the edge of the road for them to come home. Because God wants to save them. Well, I think I've told you everything I know about service in the last eight weeks. No, there's so much more. You guys, serve the Lord. You know, serve them in your home. Serve them in, you know, the workplace. I know that's hard. Serve them here, the body of Christ. It's such a joy. And it's something that the Lord wants to do. You should just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? When you just say, Lord, I'm just open to you. Watch out. And then, you know, watch what he'll do. It'll be amazing. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And so I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us. I really believe that he... He wants to do so much with us in the day in which we're in. So let's pray. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this class the last eight weeks. And I pray it's been a blessing. And it's been a, a blessing to me and a great reminder of the principles and truths about serving and what we see in the scriptures. And, Lord, what a we know that first it comes by salvation, sanctification, you working in us. And then service as you work through us. So may we stay close to you and abide in your love, abide in your word, speak the truth in love, have a heart for others, 
And Lord, help us to abound in that love more and more um, because we can't do it on our own. We can't muster it up ourselves. It's the supernatural work that you do in us. And I pray that Calvary Chapel here would be known for its love for others um, more than anything. And Lord, just having a love for you, a love for your word, and a love for the lost. And so we thank you um, that we're here. I pray you bless. Lord, it's, it's cold out, but spring's going to be coming eventually. That warmth and that life that springs forth, and I pray that that would happen in all of our hearts and in this church. We do pray for revival. That's a subject that's being talked about a lot today. Revive our hearts. It starts with us and in our church. And we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just just turn inwardly. But we want to, Lord, be a light, a city on a hill in the darkness that's all around us. So the ministry that, that you've called each one to do, may we do it with love, with joy, with humility, And, Lord, to benefit the body of Christ because the Lord is coming back soon. So bless everyone's day here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. So what we're planning on doing is we'll put this all online on our website, and then we're going to make a little ministry book. I've already been asked by Calvary Bible Institute um, to teach this at CBI. Um, They were real interested in it, so hopefully the Lord will take it and be able to be a blessing to others as well. So, all right. Any prayer? uh, I got a few minutes. I got to go help a brother move here pretty soon, but love to talk with you or pray with you, and have a great day. What are the blankets for?